And so I look forward to ministering the word this morning. Um, First Chronicles chapter 28. And so there's so many, it's obviously it's Father's Day and God bless all the fathers, amen. I always say how much the ladies deserve it. Hey, but let's give ourselves a pat on the back. We need it too. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's lots of things as I ponder what to minister this morning. There's a number of things obviously that's going on around us and my mind you know, jumps from here to there and there's so many things that we could uh, discuss in relation to Father's Day and Father's itself. And obviously we're, I mean I'm not going to go down this path but I do want to take the opportunity just to address it because we're in some troubling times um, in the day and the hour in which we live and it is evident in my mind as it is in yours no doubt that there is a demonic assault and you know we talk about um, the whole issue of um, gay marriage and all that it relates to it but you know behind, even in all of that if, if you look at what's going on it is clearly evident that what there is is there's a demonic assault against fathers this is what's being attacked and there's a reason for this because it's spiritual it's a demonic attack and the devil knows exactly what he's targeting and where it is heading for and to break down the society and all that's been going on for now for many years and, and, um, and where we're heading and all that's going on around us. But the whole issue of attacking fathers is so paramount in terms of the plan and purpose of God as ordained by God himself. And so um, I was listening, you know, there's just so many things just throughout the course of the week. I was... I was just looking, listening to the radio as I was driving to work and, um, and there it is, Neil Mitchell, he asks the question, is Father's Day really relevant? Um, because in light of the world in which we're living in and the, the, the topics that we're discussing, he throws out this, this topic that he wants his listeners to come in and ring up and talk about, is Father's Day really that relevant? Because he's sensing, well, what is its relevance? I mean, we have, you know, there's always those lefties out there and they're, they're telling us that, you know, we can't call it Father's Day anymore because that's not politically correct. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to have Special Persons Day. You see, there's a deliberate attempt to erase this whole aspect of fathers. And I, uh, even just yesterday I came across the fact that um, there was a a commercial, an ad that was supposed to be aired uh, on t- uh, Father's Day today that is by Fatherhood uh, Foundation that has been doing it, I don't know, for donkey's years and it was, the, 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 the broadcasting network has determined that the, in light of the circumstances that they cannot show a commercial where a father is singing a lullaby to his child and because they, can, they deem it politically incorrect. Hello? Like, what is going on? There is, it is insanity. They said it's too political. What, because we're talking about what constitutes a family? What is the foundation of society? 
And so now all of a sudden we can't show a commercial with a father enjoying Father's Day with his child because it's politically incorrect and, it, and uh, it's not representative. I read this comment in the article because I, I, I followed it up a little bit. One person says, it does establish because of the heterosexual couple appearing in there, it does establish what could be perceived as normal. Could be. Mm, oh yeah, I mean, can you note the language? This is our, our world is, has gone mad. Not going mad, has gone mad. It could be considered the norm. Where would they draw that conclusion from? Being indoctrinated. I mean, this is becoming crazy. They deny the Creator. Romans one. They see the invisible attributes of God in creation and man and woman, fathers and mothers. It's obvious. I mean, it doesn't, this is one plus one equals two. Now, one plus one equals whatever you want, but don't make it equal two. That's what's happening. Now, you sense my voice and my frustration, so that's just my personality. I know it might not be each and all, but it does get under my skin. And one MP who, I don't know much about him, I think he's based in here in, in Victoria, in, in response to these things, he said in the, in, the, in, in the positive sense, he says, it's a scary world where the role of a father can be outlawed. What's next? That was, a, that was a MP, a federal MP, Michael Sukar or something like that. I think he's a Christian, That's, if I'm correct. Someone, I've heard someone said that. He's in your area, okay, there you go. Supposedly, yeah. But, um, but in light of this, that's exactly what's happening, where the role of a father can be outlawed. And so, you know, I think about this and it's, it's so insane. You know, recently... Um, uh, I heard that many years ago they passed laws for people who were involved in the IVF because people wanted to be uh, donate uh, so that people could have families and whatever else. And so part of the laws that they introduced in that time was that to encourage people is that you could rename, uh, remain anonymous, that, that later in years to come, if that child uh, wanted to find out who their real father was, that they, you would be protected by law. And so that you could, you could always hide in obscurity and never be revealed for who you really are. And so, again, this is, this is at the insane world that we live in. And so now, 20 years down the road, what we have is we have a generation of people who don't know who their fathers are. And so much so that the consequences of that is they have, there have been those that have gone to, uh, I think it's the High Court, and uh, to challenge this because they say, it's my right to know who my father is. I want to know who, where I came from. I want to know who my father is. And so the High Court ruled that they had, after all of this, that they had the right to actually know and find out who their father was and so now there's an uproar amongst those donors. IVF, for all of its good intent that it started with, it's become, it's a tool of the hand of the enemy for the most part. And it's being used in such a wicked way. And so we see all these things and again we're erasing the whole issue of fathers. You don't need to know who your father is. You bet you do. It's a fundamental 
piece of who you are. It's your identity. It makes, makes you who you are. So our, our, our world's gone completely mad. You know, I liked what Don Batten said last week when he was talking about this and, and, uh, the, and the insanity of what's going on. And they call us the haters. They call us the, we've got these problems. You know what? He, he, he compared what's going on with children today to paramount to child abuse. And that is exactly what it is. For someone that had the courage to stand up and say, that's exactly what it is. Because that is child abuse, what's going on. They say that, so, you know, when we say, oh no, you know, can't be a man. I mean, you can't be a girl because you're a boy or boy because you're a girl, they say that something's wrong with us. But hello? Thank God we can come to the church in the house of God amongst the people of God. Hey, we're normal. It's all right, folks. And so our job is to stand up to preach the gospel and it's to confront this, as 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 the book says, be saved from this perverse and wicked generation. And that's what we do. We, we are to shine as lights in the midst of the darkness. And we are to be a testimony and stand up for the truth. And yeah, if whatever happens, happens. And I can tell you, it's, it's concerning some of the things. I just read a little booklet that Rona gave me. And uh, when you see where these things go, if, if, and whatever happens will happen. But you know what? Uh, we just need God to move. Because that's, that's what's required. We need God to move in our midst. Now, in saying all of that, that's not where I'm going with my preaching this morning. But I just wanted to touch upon that and share some of my thoughts in relation to those things. But what the Lord has put upon my heart um, is a message that will resound, no doubt, with fathers that are here this morning. And thank God for Christian fathers. Because that's what's needed. That's the need of the hour. But I want to talk about Christian fathers this morning because if there's anything that a Christian father wants to do in raising children who are a gift from God that God has given to him, he wants to grow them in the knowledge of the Lord. He wants to teach them, he wants to instruct them, he wants to develop them and disciple them in the, in the, in the true sense of the word to know who Jesus Christ and who God is this morning. And that's the burden, that's the immense responsibility that God has given to fathers. Now again, I know that this is mothers as well, so ladies and others that are here, uh, obviously we're focusing on, fa- focusing on fathers this morning. But the whole issue of fatherhood is so paramount and it bears deeply upon a father who has, knows he has the responsibility to teach his children the truths and that which relates to the Word of God and God Himself. And one of the things that we realise as parents and as fathers is that at the end of the day, we can't make our children Christians. I mean, we work terribly hard to accomplish it. Sometimes maybe a little too hard. But I'd rather be a little too hard than not hard enough. Because... When, uh, you know, you've got to give room for God, we learn these lessons. God has to help us to perfect uh, as well because we know that we're not perfect. But at the end of the day, our desire is to, is to teach our children and, uh, and ultimately lead them unto Christ. And so, as they grow into adulthood, as they grow from, you know, 
teenagers, babies, you know, you love to see, I love babies, I love young uh, toddlers and little kids, they're so beautiful to observe. And then, but they grow up and they grow up into teenagers and into adulthood and, and their independence begins to manifest and they grow into their, uh, their own person and they want to do what they want to do and that's the way God has ordained it. But what advice, what advice, what words of wisdom can a father give to his child as they move into that phase of their life? What words of wisdom, what are the one words of wisdom that we could say this morning? And I know there's probably a number of things that we could say, but there's a text that I want to read this morning that I believe sums it up and captures the spirit and the essence of a father's heart. And it's found in our text in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and it relates to David and his words to Solomon when he's... Now Solomon's a grown man at this stage but he's still David's son and he's about to take the throne. David's about to uh, uh, ordain him as king and in in his final address to Solomon, uh, his son, he's giving him some final instructions and he says some words that resonate with all fathers that are here this morning, especially in our desire to, uh, to train our children in the knowledge of God. So let's look, because what David says is a reflection of fathers and what we all would say to our children this morning. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse number 9. David says, As for you, my son... Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Lord, I pray that you would bless these words this morning. God, let them sound forth, Lord, with truth and clarity. God, speak to us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You see, the title of my sermon this morning is Know the God of Your Father. Thank God for Christian fathers this morning. They are a precious commodity in the light of the world in which we're living in. And we need, and that's one of the needs of the hours, is Christian fathers. Because, you know, as a Christian father, your desire is to just take that child of yours and to train it up in the knowledge of God, to teach it everything that you know, everything that you've come to understand, everything that you have learnt of the Lord and that the Lord has shown you, that you have experienced and you want to pour everything that you are into that child and to impart the wisdom and knowledge of life. And in that, that is so vitally important, fundamentally important in the process. But at the same time we understand that all of the knowledge that we have and all the knowledge that we impart is really makes up, is only one part of the equation, if you, so to speak, because at the end of the day you, you can have all the knowledge that you can about God, but the reality is this, you can still not know God. Okay? 
Now I want you to keep that thought because David is, is saying to Solomon, know the God of your father. Or in other words, in the same manner that I know, know him and, I have been, and I've known him, I want you to focus and make that the priority of your life, to know the God of your father. Sure, you have known about him. You've grown up in church. You've grown up around Christian, uh, Christian families and in, in, in church itself and hearing constant preaching and teaching. You, might, you know and have learnt much. But do not make the mistake of equating that as you personally knowing God for yourself. Know the God of your father is what David is saying. See, this is so fundamental. What did Jesus say in John chapter 17, verse 3? He said, eternal life is to know God. Eternal life is actually equated to knowing God, not knowing about him, not having knowledge of him, as important that is as in terms of the formation and starting point of bringing one into that relationship with God. But eternal life is knowing God. It's knowing who he is and it's having a personal revelation and understanding of his reality and knowing him in a personal way. Know the God of your father. You see, fathers are not just, you know, in the modern society, fathers are made to look like goofs. Let's just be honest. They are. You watch TV, you see TV shows, you know, <laughs> you know, they make dads look like weirdos and doofuses. They do. And, they're, and it's all undermining the authority of a father, the, 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 the stature of a father. And so in light of this, uh, um, we as fathers, we've learned a few things. Can you say Amen. It's like, oh, well, they're old. They don't know anything. <laughs> and I know we think like that because I thought like that too. But at the same time, we understand that, especially as Christians, you know, I was saved at, at the age of 18. The Lord took me and had mercy upon me, changed and radically transformed my life. I ended up getting married, have four lovely children, and my desire is to teach them in, in the Lord, and yet um, I would be nothing without him. So my, in, I want to teach them everything that God has shown me over the years of serving him and my knowledge of him and all that he has revealed himself to me, how he has proven himself over and over. I want to impart it all. And so we want to have our children walk in the same footsteps, so to speak, in their relationship with God. So it's about knowing the God of your father. And this is very important. Know the God of your father because your father is not just somebody who's just speaking words. He's not just filling in some gaps. He's the spiritual leader of the home. He's the one that's setting the course to, uh, to lead you as a family and as children. And so here is David mindful of all of these things when saying to Solomon, know the God of your father. But he goes on to say in verse 9, he says, Know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart. You see, this is the first fundamental reality that one must understand. 
is if you are going to serve the Lord, it is imperative that we do it with a loyal heart, not out of routine, not out of uh, regulation, not out of um, uh, just ritual, not because of just lip service where we do the outward forms of religion. You see, this is deadly. This is not what we want to achieve. Because, and that's one of the, da- the inherent dangers that we all have to process because it's easy to, you can grow up in church and still not be a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And so, um, this is why the issue of uh, David's going deeper and further when he says, know the God of your father. Now he's touching upon the issue of with a loyal heart because this is the first part. You have to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all of your strength. That's what's going to be required of every follower of Jesus Christ, of every individual. It's the first commandment. In, in, in a sense, of, 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 uh, uh, with promise, I mean, that's honouring your, your parents. But the point being, uh, uh, Jesus made it so fundamental in his teaching. The Bible also tells us of one instance in Second Chronicles, chapter 16, and it, uh, it has the prophet speaking to King Asa, and it's a familiar portion of text in Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, God, uh, the, the prophet says to Asa. But you see, nevertheless, the Lord is looking, the eyes of the Lord are looking to and fro for somebody whose heart is loyal unto him. Loyalty is the first principle. You, if you, you can be in this place, but that doesn't make, equate with a loyalty of heart at all. It all starts with the issue of the heart. And so David understood this. And so this word loyal in the Hebrew, it literally means uh, the, to be complete, to be whole. Your whole heart, not divided devotions, not divided, in, uh, but rather your complete and whole heart is loyal to God. And this is, know the God of your Father, serve Him with a loyal heart. See, David had a loyal heart in comparison to uh, King Saul who was before him, whom God removed. And so the issue of a loyal heart is, is so fundamental in, our, uh, in, in serving the Lord. But David also says, not only with a loyal heart, but with a willing mind. I have all, and my, my kids will tell you over and over again, and I've, said, I've said it throughout the course of their whole lives, what goes into the mind comes out in your life. And so a willing mind, a loyal heart and a willing mind because the two are so interconnected. Jesus said, he who wills to do his will shall know the doctrine. See, there's something about your, and we're talking about the realm of the soul where, you're act, you, you, where you choose. You must have a willing mind. And, it's the, 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 and that is fueled, a willing mind is fueled by a loyal heart because that's where it starts. 
And so the mind then is engaged, it is fixed and it's focused and it's moving in a particular direction and moving in a way and a manner in which is pleasing to God. You see, that's why it is imperative when we talk about the mind, what is it that we think about? What is it that we, that we, we fill our minds with? It is imperative this morning that we are filling our minds with the word of God. Because if you're not filling your mind with the word of God, you'll fill it with something else and your mind will focus on other things. And that's why the Bible calls us, as Christians especially, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That your mind would be renewed by the word of God. And so it is imperative that we have a loyal heart and a willing mind as we set ourselves to serve the Lord and to please him. That word, again, in the Hebrew, this word, a willing mind, means to incline, to bend, to be pleased, to have desire, to, be, to, to have pleasure. You see, it's a delight. Jesus said it's a delight to do your will. It's a delight to serve God. Amen? It is a privilege. I delight to do his will. It's not a burden. Going to church is not a burden. Obeying God is not a burden. And when you have a loyal heart and a willing mind, his commandments are not burdensome. There is a joy and a pleasure because you want to please the Lord. And this is the motivations. See, this is why David says, Know the God of your father. And if you notice the, the text, this particular verse is going deeper and deeper to see what is deep down in the heart because it's why you do what you do. It's what motivates, what are your true motivations of why you are even here this morning. So we have a, will, a loyal heart and a willing mind. See, God knows our deepest thoughts this morning. Listen to it, goes on to, and it says further, it says, um, to serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. You see, God knows exactly why we do what we do. God sees Everything And David is wanting Solomon to be mindful of this because God sees all the secret things. He knows what makes us tick. He knows why we do what we do, what's really motivating us in the depths of our heart. And we can be in church and we can go through the motions outwardly and we can hide things from men, but you can't hide nothing from God. God's looking for a loyal heart and a willing mind and he knows exactly how to search for it because he sees exactly what's going on inside our own heart. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse seven, or 27, it says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. The spirit of a man is a lamp to the Lord. You can't hide nothing from God. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, in, in verse 13, it says, No creature is hidden from his sight. We are naked before him. How does that make you feel? You see, God sees everything. Nothing is hidden. He sees what makes us tick. He sees why we do what we do. He knows why uh, we want to or we come to church. And uh, truly, our motives must be pure. 
It must be birthed from a loyal heart and a willing mind, not just to go through the motions. It's Father's Day today. Some people will say, oh, I'll go to church today because it's Father's Day. That's great. God bless you. But that is not, not the motive that God wants. God wants the motive to be Him first and foremost because that these are the motives that God is looking for. He sees our deepest thoughts. He sees the inclination of our heart. Nothing is hidden from His sight. This word in the Hebrew again, when it talks the intent of the thoughts, it means the conception, the purpose. When we conceive a thought, God knows exactly why we're doing what we're doing. And it also another word means, in terms of thoughts, it means to contrive, a cunning work. So we just take things outwardly. We say, oh, God bless you, everyone's happy, love, but we can't see underneath the surface what's going on in people's hearts, why they're doing what they're doing, what they're really up to, what they're really thinking. Have you thinking, gosh, I wish I was out here. <laughs> just how long is he going to preach for? Because God is looking at the, in the, the conception of the thought. Why is it there? What is your true motive? Why are you even in this place this morning? And um, it's in light of that that God who sees and he sees this and he judges these things. You know, in, you've ever read in John's Gospel and it says uh, that the multitudes followed Jesus and Jesus committed himself to none of them? Outwardly, it looked fantastic. I mean, there was a multitude. This was a mega church. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus committed himself to none of them because he knew what was in man and he needed no one to tell him what was in man because he saw things. You know, Brother Sam sometimes tells me he's frustrated because, you know, the older you get, the more you see sometimes the motives of people and, you, you know, you don't want to get too cynical in life. But, you know, you just see sometimes the different motivations and it can spoil things, right? Imagine the way God sees it. <laughs> and so, it's in light of that that we see how God sees things. He sees the, the, the conception of the thought. He sees the motives of the heart. And he knows everything why we do what we do. It goes on to say he understands all the intents of the thoughts. Then David says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. If you seek him. You see, again, David's laying down these final words of wisdom and warning to Solomon. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Because, you know, the reality is, is that God's not hiding. You know, people say, oh, I found God. You can't find God. God's, God's not lost. But you see, uh, but, but, he, but at the same time, if, if, our, if, we, if our heart, not, if our motives are not pure, God can hide from us. <laughs> yeah? Because he wants to reveal himself to the heart that is sincere, 
to the heart that is loyal, to the willing mind, when he sees that, he is drawn to it like a moth to a flame. And if uh, David says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. He'll jump up and say, here I am. And he'll reveal yourself to, to you. He'll fellowship with you, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. In other words, David is saying this word means to, to, uh, to cast off, to be rejected, to push aside, to remove far away. And these are the final words of David to his son, as a father to his son. And when you think about that, I think it captures something for us as fathers as we seek to train and raise children ourselves. Because let's be honest, uh, for us, as a, uh, there's children here. Doesn't matter how old you are, if, even if you're an adult, we're all still children, aren't we? If we all have a father and mother. And thank God for Christian fathers that have sought to instruct us and to teach us. What a privilege it is! But you see, a godly father carries a burden, a deep burden of of, of teaching and instructing and discipling and training. Uh, the children in order to cause them to know God in such a personal way that they would have their own relationship with God. And there's such a responsibility, immense responsibility and effort involved in this process. It's not automatic. It just doesn't, it's not a one-off thing. This happens over years and years and years. And we, have, we are to be engaged in this process uh, uh, and uh, it weighs heavily upon our hearts. Because really, at the end of the day, we are, the spiritual te- we are to be the spiritual teacher of our home. Now, understand that ladies uh, have a function to play. They also, um, they, they tend to, um, you know, they're, they're spiritual instructors as well, but they feed the, the emotional nourishment of the child, I guess, a bit more than the fathers, because fathers, we're seeking to teach and instruct, not to suggest we shouldn't have any emotional connection, but nevertheless, the point being is, is that we are there because we're fathers. We're there to, to lead. We are there to teach. We are there to instruct. And so this is part of the process of developing a child. You know, as you, looked at, as you look at this in the Old Testament and also as we understand the, the Jew and, and, um, and its history, there's insight and there's some examples for us to acknowledge. There's some principles, I guess, is the best way of putting it, of how a father's relationship with his child, especially with his son. But you see, the Israelites had a proper context of fatherhood given to them by God, and that a father was responsible to, in raising a, a child, especially a son, was to teach him his trade from a young age, to teach him to some of the practical aspects of life, how to toil and how to, uh, and how to provide and how to practically work and do all of those things. So he would teach him this. But another aspect from the spiritual point of view was that he would teach him the law, the, the truth of God's word and the laws of God. And that's why at the age of 13 they would have the bar mitzvah, a son of the law, in which they would then, uh, having already gone through a process of instruction and teaching, that they would be able to uh, demonstrate a, a comprehension and understanding of God's law and go through the process of the bar mitzvah, son of the law, and, and uh, as they enter in, into adulthood and into their development. 
But you see, there's the aspects of the practical everyday living that the Father uh, seeks to teach and then there's the truths of God's law which we're seeking to teach. And this is the whole premise of a father's relationship with his child, especially uh, in this context here as it's referring to the son as well. You know, as, as a child grew um, older... They would then, and as, especially if they were going deeper into studying the law, the Torah, they would then go and sit under a, the teaching of a rabbi. And so, and, and, and it was in that relationship that they would be taught. It, it wasn't like going to a Bible school, okay? You see, we, we've got to separate the issue of education uh, uh, apart from what I'm talking about here in terms of discipling. Because educating is part of is instructing and teaching is one aspect of, of this. But it's not the aspect. That's why you can go to a, a college and, and all of a sudden you're sitting uh, and you just, it's, it's just education. Actually, my, I remember my daughter, she was saying that she was in high school and you would have a personal relationship with the teachers. But when you went to uni, it was just a lecture theatre. It was very impersonal. You know, and so you're just throwing out information, you take it and that's it. But see, that's not discipleship. That's not the type of relationship and especially not the one that was demonstrated uh, in the rabbi and his, and, and his relationship with his students. And Jesus himself characterised it perfectly when he took 12 men and called 12 disciples and they lived with him for three years. And he taught them. They lived with him. They observed his manner of life. You see, there's something far deeper than just educating and instructing. But there's a living example. There is a, there's an impartation of spirit and an impartation of who uh, uh, I, I am into, that, into those in, in whom I'm teaching and leading. Or in this instance, here we use the word discipling. But this, is, this is all captures the same essence of fathering. When a father has children, he wants to establish the same relationship. He wants to establish the same principles of truth. He's seeking to impart, to teach, to instruct, to show, to demonstrate, to model a life that say, hey, you should, can follow this. Now, I understand we're first to admit fathers, we're not perfect. We have our flaws. But nevertheless, we are motivated by these things and these are the things that we are... Uh, uh, in light of the word of God in which we're seeking to do. You know, the premise is to, is to know, we're teaching our children to know God. Jesus had 12 disciples and isn't it interesting, they'd spent a period of time with him and um, in John 14, uh, Philip and Thomas, they complain because Jesus talks about showing um, uh, the Father and he says, you know, I'm the way, the truth and the life who comes to me and who sees me sees the Father, and then um, and then Philip and uh, and um, what's his name Thomas say, show us the Father. Who's the Father? Jesus says, have you been with me this so long and you you don't know who I am? Because Jesus had expected them by this stage to capture this, to realise this, to transition. Yeah, I, I am. He sees the me sees the Father. I hadn't worked that out yet. But this is the process. See, this is my point. Having knowledge does not equate to knowing. Philip and, and, and um, um, uh, Thomas, they had, they had the same knowledge as the rest of the disciples. 
but they still hadn't had the revelation and the knowledge. That's why when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Who was the first one to say it? Peter. And we know that Peter did it on the basis of revelation. But I also suggest that as well, in light of that, that there was an aspect in which uh, God could reveal himself to him. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's a principle which we're... Anyone that reads the Bible is familiar with how God speaks to Israel to go about this process. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Oh, that's the verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, 4. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this is very important. God didn't say, well, come together on the Sabbath and we'll have Sunday school and we'll have church. How's that, sir? No. (laughs) He said, every day, from day to day, when you talk, when you sit down, when you get up, he says you are to be occupied with teaching your children who I am. It it, it absorbs every moment. And we look for every situation, every circumstance as an opportunity for you to teach. You see, this was not just a passive impartation of knowledge. This was this was direct. This was the the, the Greek word here for uh, sorry, the Hebrew word here for for teach. Literally, uh, it means to be actively involved. It means to actively pierce. And so, the, what I'm saying is, it's very deliberate. Not passive, not just by haphazard, but it's deliberate. There's deliberate instruction, there's deliberate opportunity, there's teaching and instruction and direction and in relation to growing in the knowledge of God. And really, that's what fathers do. Amen? That's how it works. Each day, through the course of each day, through situations and circumstances that we are engaging in this process... And what's it all leading to? It's all leading to this. Know the God of your Father. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Know the God of your Father. You know, I've thought about this through my own experience and and even still in the the present circumstances and as I, I, I see in Scripture and I understand it even more so now where, where the Bible says in Galatians where it says the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And really, that's what we're like. We're we're schoolmasters. We're guardians in the sense of the children that God has given us through a lifelong process. We have sought to teach them, to instruct them, to to help them to understand who God is. And in, 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 in and through that, we want to bring them to Christ because we know we can't make them Christians. Gosh, I know. I mean, I've tried. I'm sure you have too. (laughs) 
We can't. And so the Lord, so uh, we've done our part. Now they have to come to Christ where they experience him, where they know him, where they say, I know him, I am walking with him, I'm seeking him. And that is what brings joy to any, any father. But the father can lay down the laws and the guidelines and the standards and he does. But these things are not an end in themselves. Actually, the older you get, if you're not knowing the Lord, you'll cast off all those restraints. You'll say, this is too, too much, I can't live like this. And then rebellion kicks in. You see, because that's only going to hold you to a point. And when that point of your will, your own heart and your own mind begin to engage, it is imperative, as David says, that you serve the Lord with a loyal heart and a willing mind. You see, the, the, these, the, what we've done is a means to an end and that, that end is Christ, to bring you to Christ. So you would come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the burden that a father carries and this is the purpose in which he tries to instruct. Isn't it amazing? And when you're in that, pro, as parents, when you, you know, we don't understand these concepts, but when you're in them, you, you un- begin to understand how all these things work and how they operate. You see, in saying all of that, let me ask this question, did Solomon know the God of his father? Well, the answer is yes, he did. But did Solomon serve him the way God, or the way David had instructed him? In the beginning he did, but in the end he didn't. Because the Bible says that Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord. And there's nothing more grievous than to see our children uh, not, not serving God, not walking with God, not serving the Lord as they should, as God would have them. And so here it is, um, uh, Solomon, who turned his heart? The Bible says he, he married, how many wives? I don't know. But you see, the, his wives turned away his heart. You see, that's why uh, parents, uh, you know, parents will try to give you some advice on who you get married to. They do. I mean, it's, it's just it's a responsibility of a parent. It's a responsibility of a, of a father. He wants to be in approval of what, what's going on. Oh, it's just my decision. No, it's not just your decision. Hmm. I, I sometimes, my kids still don't understand what I'm saying here, but... I say to them and they think, oh, you just, you know, where, where if David, uh, Paul says if, if, if um, it, to the father, if you withhold your virgin from, from marriage, you do well. Like, oh, that's control. That's control. <laughs> well, it's there. And it's there for a reason. So why, where does it fit? What does it mean? Does it mean that your father just wants to control your whole life? No, not at all. It's got nothing to do with that. But you see, the whole point is, is that there is, a, there is an intimate function in this relationship. And so Solomon, his heart turned and what's he doing? He's worshipping false gods. He's got involved with the wrong people and they've turned his heart. Just like David said, I warned you. I told you so. <laughs> That's what word warn means is. I put it in your mind so that later when, you, when, we, when we make mistakes, which we do, we realise, yep, I knew, I knew. But you see, 
the reality is, is we, we can only appeal. You know, when, when David says these words to Solomon, he's not trying to dominate him. He's not, even though he's instructing him, he's in, the motive of David's heart is he loves him. He loves him and he's deeply appealing to Solomon to know the God of your father, serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. And uh, he's not, and so it's an appeal, knowing that he can't control ultimately what he does, but his, his, his desire is expressed and his love is expressed in these things. You know, why am I preaching this on Father's Day? Because, let me say this if you have a Christian father, you are a blessed and privileged person. Did you know that? You probably didn't. <laughs> Well, you will soon realise it. Because I tell you that this world does not understand what true fatherhood is, biblically speaking. The concepts out there are just so weird and foreign and wrong. And so, but you know, they say familiarity can breed contempt because, you know, we've grown up in a family and, yeah, you know, all families are not perfect. We all have our own problems and and so forth. But I tell you what, when you look at the big picture and you get out of your little, you know, four walls, you realise, oh gosh, my family's awesome. Awesome. For all of its little problems, they're meaningless. They're, 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 they're minute. They're really not that important in terms of the greater context of things. And so I want us to have an appreciation this morning for Christian fathers because uh, the Bible tells us to esteem our father and our mother. Ephesians 6.2, quoting, Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So Christian fathers are a precious commodity. Hallelujah. And as the, as the scripture says, know the God of your father. He, has, he does have something to offer. He's not just a hot air balloon. He's got something substantial to put into your life. Let's pray. Father, we just bless your wonderful name. God, we just thank you for the word of God this morning. God, we have sensed your spirit God, the word of the Lord that has come to us, the instruction and revelation that has come being brought forth and so God I just pray that you would help us Lord in this endeavour especially in light of the world and in which we're living in God help us to be I pray for fathers Lord this morning help us to be all that you have equipped us and called us to be Lord and I pray God for children that are amongst us Lord that they would too would have a revelation of this particular issue and Lord though uh, we don't celebrate Father's Day in a secular sense Lord we do acknowledge God the blessing of Christian fathers so I pray your blessing upon each and all in Jesus name Amen